Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 164 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, 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 November 10th, 2019. My name is Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Doing pretty good. Um, had a couple long closing shifts the past couple days at work, um, but... How many hours are you getting a week? It depends. It really does. It seems like you're working all the fucking time. Well, I mean, I've been getting 19, 20 hours. Sometimes it's over that. Um, But then you have school on top of that. So, you know, and that kind of is like work. I mean, there's a day during the week on Tuesday where I'm on campus all day from like 10.35 to eight something after eight something jesus at christ what the fuck <laughs> that's like 10 hours of of college i know what but, the, what how many there, classes but, are you taking well i only have two classes that day but i have a night class on that day and it would just be too much of a hassle for me someone to give me a ride to go home and then come back it's just a waste of gas so i'll just, yeah, I just stay true. on campus for like five and a half hours Dude, that sucks what do you do uh, I catch up on schoolwork, or I just mess around on YouTube and watch YouTube videos, and sometimes I actually watch some movies, because I have my laptop with me, and it has a disk drive in it, or wow. I watch them from my flash drive. So, um, yeah, that's gonna, I buy lunch from the cafeteria, and normally I get a sandwich, but I'm gonna try to bring sandwiches, because they're not cheap. They're like five, six bucks. <laughs> So, you know, I could, I could, I could save five, six bucks. <laughs> oh, is no. five or six it's... bucks a lot of money to you, Mike? Ha ha ha. Yeah, I, I, I remember back when I went to college, I had, uh, I had stacked some of my classes dumb like that to where, yeah. like, I had one at one point and then you had, like, two hours in between and it really made no sense to go home just to like uh-huh. go back you know so yeah. it was like yeah i mean you could go get lunch you could you know just dick around in the library could but... watch unsolved mysteries on amazon prime <laughs> oh, <laughs> but that... you couldn't do that back then oh back when i was going to college that shit was <laughs> that shit was like actually i think when i was going to college they were still airing it on lifetime the reruns <laughs> which was i mean i i loved that when I, yeah. you, you're lucky enough to get home and uh, it's coming on. Yeah, I Lifetime. remember that too. I remember uh, that's my first exposure to Unsolved Mysteries was through Lifetime reruns. It wasn't through uh, when it was originally aired because I was too young. 
Yeah, man. Really remember My that. grandma from Massachusetts, she she felt the need to uh, yep. watch that show and have Just me watch like it with her. my aunt and my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good parenting 101 right there. <laughs> uh, well, that's cool. Um, what, what, what have I been up to since the last time we did a podcast? Just been a busy bee with your band? Yeah. Um... Jeez, it's like all it all starts to blend together in my head, like all all the shows and all. Um, you were in Jacksonville karaoke. Yeah. Late. Oh, uh, oh, fuck! Why didn't I? I can't believe I am just now thinking to mention this. Yeah, congratulations, everybody! We are the number one podcast in Jacksonville, Florida, according to Folio Weekly magazine. That's right. That's right. Got the applause going. <laughs> the uh, the premier uh, magazine of what's happening in Jacksonville, and uh, yeah, we beat out some of our other competitors. I don't, uh, I don't know, Babecast. What, Babecast, yeah. I think, I, like I was saying, I think it was um like these two news anchor people, or uh huh, and they're they're like these two chicks, and they're like, oh, let's do a podcast and call it Babecast. That'll be fun. But because I think they are, I, I'm talking on my ass right now. So if the, if anyone from Jacksonville is like listening to this, especially no, that's the that's the Baywatch podcast. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I, that would be fucking hilarious if we had lost to a Baywatch like fan podcast. That would be, I if I would rather them win just for the story. Like we we lost to a Baywatch fan podcast. Now I don't know what the fuck they talk about. Then another one's called the Short Box. Uh, podcast and uh, I'm giving them free shout outs right now so you know you're, you're welcome uh, no I'm just joking that sounded incredibly arrogant I don't I'm not anyway uh, short box uh, they uh, it's like a comic uh, podcast but um, they talk about like almost specifically Jacksonville kind of stuff I felt like when I listened to a few of their episodes and I'm like who wants to listen to a podcast? I mean, I get it if you're from Jacksonville, but like, you know, I think I'm thinking like globally. I, I try to make shit that like anyone anywhere can listen to. I would never yeah. want to make a pod. That'd be like you making a podcast specific to the Vancouver, Washington area. Yeah, that wouldn't do very well. Yeah, there's like, not enough people in Vancouver, Washington who give a shit about you know the history of Vancouver, Washington, or what's going on in Vancouver, Washington to really get that much of a, a listener base. Yeah. But Jacksonville, I guess, must be big enough that so they, they get a Oh, Jacksonville's bit of... fucking huge. <laughs> Jacksonville is the biggest <laughs> uh city in the uh the largest city in the US landmass wise. Uh-huh. So um and it's also the highest murder or it's not it's actually not the highest murder capital. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a lot. A lot of people in Jacksonville like to brag and say, "Oh yeah, we're the." Well, I don't know if "brag"s the right word, but it why would you brag about? It that? seems like they brag sometimes. I swear to God, it seems like they're like, "Yo, you know, we got the most murders and all this other kind of shit." Like uh, of all the things, like we got the most murders, bro. <laughs> but two things with that. Like... Number one, we don't like places like Baltimore <laughs> and Chicago beat us out in the murders, and then two. Well, Jacksonville is literally the size of, like, four cities. So, yeah, if you have a large mass of land, there's going to be more people and more people getting murdered. And if you count that large-ass piece of land as only one city, then per capita, yeah, you're going to have a high murder yeah. rate. That's like... 
That's like if you took all the European countries and called them one country, they would have the highest murder rate, you know, of any country because you're taking all those, you know, you you guys know what I mean. But anyway, I want to thank everybody for um, voting, for uh, going to this random website, you know, that... <laughs> Nobody, none of you get the folio wherever you're at unless you're listening in Jacksonville right now. But, you know, you went there and you voted and you had to give them your email address. And I'm sure they're fucking spamming you with their annoying emails. You can unsubscribe from that, obviously. But thank you, everybody, for who voted for us. Um, they, they, I actually got emailed today about getting a plaque. Uh, that that has the uh, name on it and all, <laughs> but they want one hundred and sixty four dollars for it. So fuck you, I'm not paying that. To uh, I don't know. You know. Are you sure? I mean, I don't know. Like, what's it gonna? It's just gonna sit on my wall. I mean, it'd be cool, but it's an accomplishment. Yeah, I don't know. It, it they're cheaper when you order. You got the money. They're cheap. <laughs> they're they're only a hundred and fifty a piece when you order two or more, Mike. Oh well. So if you want to kick a hundred and fifty bucks my way, I can get one made for you too, buddy. <laughs> I have a place for that. Oh you oh you don't have a place for a fucking four by six uh, plaque. No, I really don't. In in this room, I I don't. Mike, you want to? You might want to. Might want to start reevaluating your life choices. <laughs> If you don't have space for that, I do you have space for the mug? Do you still have the the uncovering? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, I have that. Because you know you're one of two people that has that very limited exclusive oh. mug. Oh. Yeah, and I'm oh. I'm the I'm the other one. I'm the only other one. <laughs> someone uh, and by someone what an I, honor by someone I mean Morgan from Canada. Uh, she was asking about uh the T-shirts, and we are sold uh-huh. out of the uh uncovering unexplained mysteries T-shirts. And that prompted me to think of, well, what if I did a new design and did a new yeah, run? Yeah, new design, yeah. So if you guys would be interested in that, let me know. But she was also saying that she would like a, a mug, and that's another, I don't know, that's another piece of merch. I think, I think some people would probably like uh, the cartoon ones, you know, yeah, I, with I, you and your I, possum. And... I've been wanting to do that. I've been wanting to do, like... Our, like a caricature, yeah, the logo or with, something. <laughs> uh, one of our listeners, Eddie, uh, he he did a really good um, mock up of us. Maybe yeah. if he like tweaked it a little bit or something, we could get uh-huh. something like that that we could use. But um, any hoozles, this is a podcast about the unsolved mysteries. We don't always talk about unsolved mysteries, but this time around, we're we're uh, not only yeah, are we, we found some hidden gems under the floorboards. Yeah. Uh, we are we are pulling out the rosé, the thirty year old bottle of rosé from the basement. We're dusting it off, and uh, I was cleaning. Well, yeah, I was cleaning out behind the backboards in the basement, and um, I found this bottle, and I can't believe that uh, you know it's been hidden for so long. And and of course, I'm talking about these segments from season one, yeah. vintage. Unsolved yeah. mysteries, and they're both great segments. And um, yeah, I mean, I've I've went through the Amazon Prime thing entirely before, and I I just finished it again, and I can't believe I uh, didn't catch these. Um, these are both great segments, especially the uh, last one we'll be talking about. And um, yeah, I, I just have a thing now where I'm watching Unsolved Mysteries and uh, a segment comes up that I feel would be interesting. I just make a note of it and mark it down in my um, 
phone and then I send it to Mike or whatever whenever we're talking about what cases we're going to cover. And yeah, I was like, when I saw these two, I was like, holy shit, these are both really good. So um, the first case... Well, also, I mean, this this first case we're going to talk about is one that uh, wasn't initially the the one that was planned for a discussion. Yeah. It was like a... I don't know what the last... deal is with the first one. Yeah, it's one that uh, we're having a hard time locating. Uh, maybe we'll find it also hidden somewhere, maybe uh, in a hidden compartment, you know, one of those uh, hideaways or something. Um, but for right now, we don't know specifically know which one it is. <laughs> well, I had this other one in my phone as a backup because, you know... I, Good for you. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder to um, <laughs> just pull a segment out of my ass that I'm excited to talk about like it was in the early days where it's like, <laughs> oh man, I want to cover Allagash. I want to cover, you know, Elvis, Elvis's last night. I want to cover Black Hope, you know, like now it's... We might get to the point where we like just redo. <laughs> we just do redos. <laughs> hey, our... like, that's so old. We want to talk about that, I guess. <laughs> um, Stephanie, my bandmate, has been uploading episodes of our old episodes of our podcast to our uncovering unexplained mysteries youtube page and sometimes she has to like listen to them for some reason you know for to check for you know editing or whatever and um i'll be listening to myself talk about like an old <laughs> case and i'll be like oh yeah i remember talking about that case and then i'll have like a thought or an opinion about that case and then literally like seconds later I'll say that same thing that I was thinking <laughs> so it's like I feel like if I if I went and revisited the shit it would literally just be me yeah. articulating in slightly different words the same kind yeah. of thoughts and opinions I had about yeah, it originally yeah, it, prob it probably would be yeah you know unless unless it was something like um you know if some kind of information came out that drastic drastically changed my opinion or something mm -hmm. but you know that whole allagash thing that came out really like fucked me up man like the allagash abduction whenever well, that I, I mean remember i was saying like that guy seemed a little like it seemed a little vindictive so yeah. i don't know yeah it's still kind of still kind of hurt though a little bit because that's that that was like my favorite like segment of all time on Unsolved Mysteries. Um, yeah, honestly, like it's between like that and like the Dale and yeah, because uh, I, I just I just rewatched that. Liz one. Carmichael. Yeah, I fucking love that segment so much. I don't know why. Um, I just the fake car. And I don't. Know. Anyway, this is the case of Thomas Hotard and Audrey Moat. Hotard, isn't that what you call like a? Uh, a mentally disabled woman of easy virtue, for short, you call a hotard. <laughs> oh my god! That was like that was like a a, a uh, or a, a a rated R uh, dad joke. Is yeah. what that was. Yeah, that was a exactly ha a hardcore dad joke. Whenever I think of, uh, I don't know if you remember though. This is an old SNL sketch from from the eighties with Eddie Murphy. He plays this guy named Velvet Jones, and he's all talking about be somebody. Be a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, like, like it's a whole uh, like guidebook for being a hoe that he's like selling on on TV. <laughs> uh, how you can be your own boss. How you can make your your own money. Interesting, Mike. Um, Very interesting. 
So yeah, anyway, it's, it's it's some classic <clears throat> SNL. Forty-six-year-old um, Thomas Hotard was a Louisiana native who was romantically seeing Audrey Mote, a thirty-one-year-old divorced mother of three from Baton Rouge. They and re- folks, before uh, Josh goes uh, deeper into this uh, recollection of this particular case, kind of set the tone and the setting. This takes place in La Place, Louisiana, uh, in no- November 24th of 1956. So this is a 50s throwback segment of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. And they went all out with whatever budget that they had for this particular segment. This is a really long segment, too. This is definitely one of the longer segments out there. Uh, It's at least 20 minutes, or close to that. And they shot on location. There's a lot of shots in this that are, I I personally think, are gorgeous from a cinematography uh, perspective. They brought in the old 50s cars and vehicles. They they took the time to try to make the clothes and all these things fit the time period. They did a great job recreating the setting. And the shots at night uh, in the swamp are just eerie. And I think there's just an eerie place, period. The swamp yes. in Louisiana. Yeah, for sure. So, anyway, thank you for all that uh, background information, Mike. I think you really painted a picture there for our listeners. Thomas Hotard and uh, Audrey Mote uh, would regularly meet each other, even though he was married and fifteen years older. Ooh, but on the that's that's controversial now. Yeah, uh, but e- back then, yeah, like, that was like naughty, naughty. That was a that was a naughty no no back then. That's like even worse back then. Yeah. That's like. Well, at least he wasn't an African American, because <laughs> you know back then that would be like that would be like the death penalty. In, in, and I in, guess everyone in Louisiana, Louisiana at that time sounded like uh, old, old hoity-toity white guys from the 1700s. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? You know, paint a picture. Um. Anyway. On the morning of November 25th, 1956. He was discovered dead from a gunshot wound fired at close range through the rear window of his car. No sign of Audrey was found, but evidence at the scene suggested that she had fled the scene as another person in boots went after her. Thomas Hotard worked for a local chemical company, which is where he met Audrey in 1952. This was before Tinder, everybody. They were involved in scouting and often planned scouting trips together. Their romance was a deeply hidden secret. Audrey told her family that she had to work on Saturdays, but in reality, she spent her time with Thomas. So they just trusted her. They didn't bother to call her uh, shop or, you know, the place she was working at to see if she's there. I mean, why would they? You know, and exactly. I get it. Um, But nowadays, like, you know, people would be snooping around. You know, the parents would be snooping around. She was 31. I, I know. I, I don't think they would. <laughs> she was 31 with, like, kids. Yeah. I think she was good. Um, I don't know if she was 31 at that time. She was probably still younger than that in 1952. But I get what you mean. Uh, whatever. Plus, it was a different time. 
Okay. All right, Mike. Everyone just trust everybody. All right, everybody. breakfast, Mike. Calm down. <laughs> uh, so anyway, she would spend her time with Thomas in secret, and he and Thomas would also tell his wife the same lie. Uh, he was also involved in her social life, but he was introduced as a friend of hers. A few weeks before she vanished, she told her mother that if anything ever happens to her, she should take the kids, meaning her children, and leave the area. She never told her mother why she should do this, however. So it's almost like there was this looming in the air, maybe. Maybe she knew something. Because, I mean, I don't know. There are paranoid people out there that just kind of say shit sometimes to say shit. My dad was definitely one of those people. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, sometimes it's like, they know that some shit might go down and uh, they don't want to like alarm their loved one, but they're like, hey, you know, just just FYI, if something should happen to me, look at this person. That was like um, Trailer Terror, where those two girls went missing oh, after yeah. the trailer burned down and mm-hmm. the um, brother was on the show and he's like, you know, because the dad died in the fire and the brother of the dad was like he told me if anything were to happen to me you look at the police department and he was serious anyway okay that's a fucking there's literally a motorcycle driving right through my house right now that's what you would fucking (laughs) that's what you would think i mean the dude might as well roll his motorcycle up into my house right now and just do a a wheelie or donut in my living room (laughs) i'm just imagining like this guy just crashing through the window doing driving around some really donuts really bad and then doing a wheelie (laughs) bad 90s board game commercial like whoa (laughs) crossfire from milton bradley Anyway, on Saturday, November 24th, 1954, they met in La Place around 7.30 a.m. and then drove to their scheduled Lover's Lane next to Lake Pontechartrain. At 9 a.m., a father and son spotted them there. It's funny, in the segment, uh, the kid's like, what are they doing, Daddy? And the dad's like, never mind that, keep walking. (laughs) The next morning, the same father and son discovered Thomas's body. Dun, dun, dun. Well, now the kid knows what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> Killing each other. It was a suicide pact. Um, no. Um, invest- they were dying. <laughs> yeah. Investigators determined that Thomas had been shot once in the head with a 16-gauge shotgun. Ooh. Fired at point-blank range Ooh. through a side window. Let me tell you something. Damn. Let me tell you something, guys. A 16-gauge shotgun. I've fired one before. I have two, actually. And like, surprisingly, yes. I actually fired one, too. <laughs> and the kick on that thing oh, yeah. is so bad that if you aren't yeah. holding it right, it could, like, dislocate your fucking shoulder. Absolutely. I so, mean, I, I was worried. I was freaked out about that because, uh, you know, they were, they were talking about, like, make sure you hold it. I'm like, I... <laughs> and so I had uh, had it on my shoulder... Because you have to, like, keep it, you know, tight. And the, my dad made sure it was tight before I fire, pulled the trigger. Because, like, and, and he was there, like, if, if he saw it might move a little, he was going to grab it and, you know, hold it down if necessary. Um, yeah, so but, the, those, those, those motherfuckers are powerful. So believe you me, when this guy is shooting Hotard through the window at Point Blank Rage... His fucking head exploded like a fucking melon. Yep. And it turned into hamburger. 
Yeah, in the reenactment, I know there's no way they could have ever shown this, but she ran out of the car uh, uh, frightened, and she was, like, clean as a fucking whistle, and I'm like, yeah, bullshit. Like, no the way. real scene was mu- probably much more grisly. She should have yeah, been, she... been covered in all kinds of brain matter. But I know they could. She would have been absolutely just drenched in blood and, and bone fragments and brain matter, and it would just be gory and horrible. Yeah, there's um, no way they could have shown that, but you know, no, absolutely not. Although but sometimes they did a good job. They did a good job, though, despite not being able to show any of that. The way that it was shot with the shotgun point blank through the window, they still did a good job creating a terrifying scene. Yeah, without showing the blood or any of that. It helped too that the guy that was playing uh, the the killer, he definitely looked like a mean son of a bitch. Oh yeah, mean that, son of a bitch. That was a very yeah. <laughs> they 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 casted him uh, very well to play that that guy. He definitely uh, he had the whole the whole character down, even down to the whole his way of talking. He's like, you remember that moat girl? What for was found in the swamp fifty years ago? Like he would. <laughs> He, he he used the term "what for," you know, like which is uh-huh. which is a very like I feel like a Louisiana drawl kind of, you know, yeah. down in the swamp there. What for that one girl was found there? What for five ten years ago? Like anyway, um, blah 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 blah. At first, it was believed that Audrey had killed Hotard in a lover's quarrel. However, further examination at the scene showed that they had apparently been surprised while together. Audrey's clothes were crumpled on the floor, the keys were in the ignition, and some of her personal items were on the ground next to the car. It appeared that she had tried to flee the scene. Fifty feet away, her bare footprints were found, along with those of Boots. Another set of car keys were also found. The footprints ended at a single motorcycle track on a road to the main highway. Her purse was never found. Later that night, Audrey's car was found abandoned at the restaurant where she had met Thomas the previous day. The keys at the crime scene belonged to her car. However, no other trace of her was found. Then, on December 6, two weeks after her disappearance, her former mother-in-law received a strange phone call. The caller claimed to be her. She said she was in trouble and needed help. Around the same time, a waitress told police that she had seen a disheveled woman matching Audrey's description at the restaurant. This was the last reported sighting of her. No new- And those are the kind of sightings that, you know... This would be a common occurrence in unsolved mysteries cases. Would be like, oh, I saw someone who looked like that woman who went missing, or that guy who went missing, or and then there really isn't anything that really confirms it either way. It's just like I swear I saw her. I feel like sometimes those people just want attention, like they just want to get on like TV or whatever, because like they are so dead, like sure about it that it's almost like. But back then, like, maybe they wanted to be in the paper. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. it's like, the fact that you're that sure, I feel like that that kind of, you know, rigid certainty is probably what got you on the I show. I bet my life yeah, on it, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you've probably call, like, called him up or whatever, and it's like, I, I you know, bet my my first son's life on the fact that that's exact. you know, like, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, I... I I don't. I don't know. How crazy would that be? Like it turns out, no, it's someone else, and then his oh, first shit. son just us. 
His first son just dies right then. I gotta stop doing that. That's like the that's like the ninth first son that I'm on. Shit. Oh, ah, horse shit. Anyway, um, meteor shit. God. <laughs> anyway, that was the last reported sighting of her. The last reported uh, supposed sighting of her. Uh, no new leads surfaced in the case until 1980 when a dying man named Ernest Acosta indicated to his family that his common-law wife, Caroline Slesser, who died in 1979, killed both Thomas and Audrey and that he helped dispose of her body. However, Is this the, the mean son, yeah, this is son the, of bitch? Yeah, this is the mean son, son bitch right here. However, his daughter, Marville, suspects that he may have been involved in the murder, not Caroline. And I believe that, too, because I just... I'm sorry. I, I I just. Well, the, the, this is the, the, this is kind speaking of speaking of Caroline. The the reenactment details what the the theory that might have happened with Caroline if she was the one that killed uh, Audrey and uh, Hotard, and it's pretty funny because yeah, there was apparently there was some kind of relation between uh, Audrey and. Um, Caroline, like there was some kind of uh, yeah, fa- like family type relation, yeah. like a cousin Ernest, or something. Ernest and Caroline, the actors they chose, and the actor and the actress that they chose to play them, perfect, just perfect casting. Uh, Caroline has that Louisiana drawl, um, just this big, just enormous woman, and not in the in, not in the case of like she's like just massive in terms of like her uh obesity or anything like that it's like she's 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 heavy set but she's like just tall imposing you know woman you know big boned uh definitely wrestle your ass to the floor (laughs) and keep you there so um apparently her and uh ernest were made for each other you know, they were, they were, they said something like they were one of a kind or they were two of a kind. Well, yeah, they both, the Caroline yeah. slept with a gun under her pillow and Ernest would sit in, in the front. He was literally the angry old man in the front yard. He would sit in the front yard. And if you got too close to his property, uh, as they put it, he would take pot shots uh, at, at you if you got too close. Yeah. And, and if you went up to him and asked him anything, like he would be quick to pull the gun out on you, well, and be like, "What the hell you want?" If you, yeah, if you went up there and 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 uh, you know, you stated your business, and and he didn't like what you were, uh, you know, what 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 you were saying or whatever, he he basically he'd say, "Hit the road, Jack," you know, and um, so and uh, his, his I think it's his uh daughter who's t- or someone yeah it's the daughter yeah, his daughter's talking about him, and I love how when she's first is reminiscing about her father who's he's an angry man he's just like he's an angry she probably was like he, he was just it doesn't seem like she was really that uh fond of her father and you could you could see why he reminded um, me of my grandfather um yeah my grandfather was a mean old bastard and and mm-hmm. um he you know nobody really liked him that much and you know even his own kids were like yeah he's kind of a prick you know like I know it's hard to think of grandparents in terms of that, but sometimes people are just bastards. And you don't meet them very often, yeah. thankfully, yeah. but like, it's kind of like, I don't know, it kind of builds character in a way of like being around those just yeah. bitter old bastards. Cause it's like, uh-huh. 
you see that okay this this type of person actually does exist and um and you're like i don't want to be yeah, like that exactly when i get older i don't want to be like that because like i literally see how how not only do people not want to be around me face to face but oh my god the amount of shit that we all talked about him behind his back like so yeah, that was basically for sure but they're two peas in a pod yeah um you know they're two assholes in a pair of underwear <laughs> you know like they're they're just uh they, they are uh these two are a match made in hell so caroline she's all talking all kinds of uh shit and she's all talking to uh which is ironic considering what she ends up saying so she has uh this uh shotgun in her hand and She's talking to Audrey, and it's like, all right, get your butt in here, you know. And and and, and this is a, a real quote. It's like, you better watch your manners, and don't talk that trash talk in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to this next scene where the bringer, she brings uh, Audrey and Thomas Hotard in there, and then all you hear is just bang, bang, like two sh- two shotgun blasts. To insinuate that in this theory that she's the one that killed them, but I, I just found that pretty, so. I like, guess I guess they unsolved mysteries writers they decided to have you better watch your manners, <laughs> talk that trash talk in my house. So I guess they they, they must have talked some trash. Yeah, they must have talked some trash. <laughs> I, I like uh, how, um, you know, dialogue that would be suitable for like say I don't know an, an aggravated like basketball court scene on some 90s sitcom <laughs> the dialogue in that is the very same dialogue unsolved mysteries writers used a lot of yeah. times in angry scenes it's like don't talk that trash talk on my court you're a piece of garbage <laughs> like man they 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 just try- oh we, we got something for a piece of garbage later like somebody literally winds up as a piece of garbage in the next segment we're going to talk about but yeah they they tried their hardest to skirt around the uh the 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 was it the sensors uh the the standards or whatever the hell it's called yep but anyway we got a trashy podcast for you folks <laughs> um blah, 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 blah. however marvel suspects that blah, blah 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 yeah i i think i think that um ernest the uh bastard husband uh i think he yeah. he he definitely did it uh, and they go on to talk yeah. about w- why they think that uh, a new investigator on the case has searched for audrey's body without success as of now this case remains unsolved but her daughter decky hopes that she can find her mother's remains now as far as the suspects now that's a go name. yeah decky uh Authorities first suspected that Audrey had killed Thomas in a lover's quarrel and fled. However, this was ruled out based on the evidence left at the scene. Once a suspect in the initial investigation was 40-year-old Edmund Duhay. He was shot and wounded, or he shot and wounded a woman in New Orleans during a robbery attempt. The attack occurred close to where Thomas was found murdered. He was linked to the case after a purse was found in his vehicle. The purse matched the description of Audrey's missing purse. After being given a truth serum... Duhay confessed to killing the couple. Uh, he claimed to have buried Audrey's body in a dump. However, her remains were not found in the dump. It is not known if Duhay is still still a suspect. What is the truth serum? What 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 was in the truth serum? Truth serum like is uh, typically sodium pentothal, I believe. Yeah. So isn't that usually pretty reliable? Let's. I mean, compared uh, to a lie detector test. Let's let's look up all sodium pentothal here. 
uh, blah, 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 blah. Is a uh, rapid onset short acting barbiturate general aesthetic, uh, anesthetic. It is the blah, 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 blah. So, uh, all right, let's see. It's uh, true serum. Here we go. Uh, so, uh, truth serum. Sodium pentothal is still used in some places as a truth serum to weaken the resolve of a subject and make them more compliant to pressure. The barbiturates as a class degree, uh, decrease higher cortical brain functioning and also due to the loss of inhibition produced by barbiturates. Some psychiatrists hypothesize that because lying is more complex than telling the truth, suppression of the higher cortical functions may lead to the uncovering of the truth. The drug tends to make subjects la uh, loquacious and cooperative with interrogators. However, the re reliability of confessions made under uh, sodium pentothal is questionable. So there you go. Okay. Well, they say it's questionable, but like, do they provide any like details on it? Well, it doesn't seem like they do. No, it's basically saying that. Hold on. Let me close my front door. It's fucking like. Why is it questionable, dude? Re that's that's my thing. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Is the guy still riding around on his bike? <laughs> you get that trash talk off my lawn. <laughs> eh, it's probably just somebody talking some trash loudly. In Josh's front yard. Ugh. Had to take out the trash? These fucking... Uh, I don't even know what they are. They're these, like, biker-type people live next door. And he. I, I have my doors open because it's, like, a nice temperature uh -huh. outside in Florida for once. And uh, are they gonna go after you with a chain next? No. He's just he's just <laughs> blasting ACDC over there, and and you know I, it was I could hear it pretty loud in here, so I had to go and close my doors. Um, no, but it, but anyway, what I was saying about the sodium, the truth serum or whatever, um, it, it's basically like um, giving someone you know, like I don't know, a couple beers or some some uh, oh, okay. a good amount of liquor. You know, you get. You know, the more drunker you get, the more your inhibitions lower and the more you're more, basically your lips get looser. You're more willing to yeah. say things that you wouldn't normally say if you were stone sober. Mm -hmm. So the, it's a barbiturate. I would say they're probably questionable, but I would say they're, the results from a true serum are probably better than a lie detector test. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, um... Blah, blah, blah. Caroline was named uh, as a possible suspect in the case in 1980. Several months before he died, Ernest, the douchebag, told his family that she had committed the murder. So he's, he's a stand-up guy. He blames his fucking wife. What a man. They lived on the edge of the swamp, less than a mile from the murder scene. Both had bad reputations. She slept with a gun at all times and apparently shot at anyone who came too close to the property. Ernest. Well, he did that. Yeah, Ernest's daughter, Marvel, recalls that Thomas and Audrey had come to the property at least twice and had met with Caroline. Ernest claimed that they knew something about her, but it is unknown what exactly that was. Audrey was also apparently related to her in some way. According to Marvel, Ernest was visiting his children on November 24th, but that night Caroline called him and he immediately rushed home. He claimed that she had killed Audrey and Thomas in their home and that he and a neighbor had taken Thomas's body back to the murder scene. They then tied Audrey's body to an old Civil War cannon and dumped it into a swamp. <laughs> and that's where he had the investigator guy who was trying to find the body. He was trying to find it with a with a uh, metal detector. Yeah. Marvel. It seemed like he was just like a guy 
who heard about the case. He lived in the area and was like, I'm going to solve this case. Well, I think he was on the, on the police force, and he 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 oh, basically okay. got so into the case that he started working on it on his own time. Oh, okay, yeah. and the water was too high, I guess, for them to look for the cannon. But they were hoping that the like you definitely know this is in the south because they tied her body to I, I know, old right? Civil fucking war civil cannon. war can- Like, like <laughs> I love how they just have those lying around still in Louisiana. You know, like oh, the Civil War. I mean, that was only a hundred years ago. Yeah, we still got some. Uh, some of the old uh, slave quarters and Civil War cannons and all, you know, the fucking gray uh, rebel or the gray hats or whatever the fuck they wore. I don't yep. know. Um, Instead of Ernest saving camp in this instance. Ernest ties uh, uh, a victim to a Civil War <laughs> cannon and dumps it in a swamp. Vern. Um, hey, Vern. <laughs> I killed somebody. <laughs> Want to help me hide the body? <laughs> First of all, like what what they should have done is they should have taken that damn Civil War cannon to the Antiques Roadshow, got it appraised, <laughs> sold it, and then like paid a professional to uh, dispose of the body. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> the Civil War cannon. Yeah. How much money could you get for that? I mean, that seems like it'd be valuable. Yeah. But I guess when you kill someone and you need them to sink quickly, you you'll just take anything. You know, like. Such a random thing to tie someone to. It like truth is like literally stranger than fiction sometimes. Um, Marvel, however, was suspicious of Ernest's story. The whole Caroline did everything, and I only helped since the evidence showed that Thomas was actually killed in his car. She, along with the new investigator on the case, believed that Ernest may have actually been the killer. It is suspected that he was watching them make love on the shoreline and got a little alfalfa sprout in his pants and decided to attack them sexually or attack Audrey sexually. Uh, It is believed that he shot Thomas and then chased after Audrey when she tried to escape. Um... It's still unsolved. In February 2011, remains were found that were suspected to be Audrey's. Decky Mote, uh, her daughter, gave police DNA in hopes of identifying the remains, especially because she has life-threatening cancer. Well, that sucks. However, the DNA tests have yet to be revealed. Sadly, Decky Mote passed away on January 21st, 2019. Oh man! Like rest in peace, Decky. Props to uh, the people who who keep up with uh, this wiki uh, uh, for still keeping this all this stuff up to date. Because we would never know uh, unless because Audrey was her mom, right? Yes, Audrey was the mother. So she gets to reunite with her mother. If you believe in that kind all of thing. Years. Yep. Now, see, my whole thing about this this whole thing that man, that's that's some good English right there. My my whole thing about this whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're southern, like you're, you're you're talking about this case that happens in Louisiana, and it's like subconsciously, Mike, like your southern, the southern part of you is coming out. Don't in this. don't blame it on my my my, my southernness. <laughs> blame it on my stupidity, because that's really that's really what's at fault here. Well, I'm just saying because there there are there are moments where like an accent has slipped in. Yeah, throughout this entire, I, you know, I can't help it, Mike. Thing. I'm just a southern. I'm just a southern boy. That's all I know. That's all. I mean, that's just who I am. That's who I. I'm proud of it, and it's just who I am. This whole thing here. <laughs> but no, uh, what bothers me about this is like you know the Marvel, the daughter of uh, Ernest. Yep. You know, she even said she goes. They loved guns, and I'm not trying mm-hmm. to turn this into some kind of politically charged gun debate. But the thing is, is like you know. 
you hear about like, we need to have guns because the good guys need to have guns because if they take the guns away from the good guys, then the bad guys will still have them. There's this, you know, this oversimplification of like, you know, good guys having guns. Cause well, yeah, a good, a, lot of, a, a good amount of those people are not really good people. Well, that's the, and that's my whole thing is like you got these fucking hotards over here in Louisiana who are, uh, you know, taking pot shots at people from their yard because of their God-given Second Amendment right and, you know, sleep... I mean, I think that's a little... I mean, using that term in this instance is a little, like... Because the guy got murdered. The guy got murdered. Mr. Hotar. Oh, yes. I mean, you know... (laughs) It's a little insensitive. We're going to be perfectly honest. Well, they they are hoes, and they are slightly tarted. That's got to be a little less uh, bad than saying the actual full word, uh, saying they're just slightly tarted. You know, it's it's more it's more playful. I don't. That sounds like a King of the Hill. They're a little tarted. Uh, no, but they're you know these two bastards here with their fucking guns and 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 and, and you know when does a good quote unquote good guy become a bad guy? they're a good guy till they're not basically you know they're a good guy until you know uh he sees two people boning in a car in his that's my property it's my backwoods you son of a bitch and uh yeah just gets the itch and uh decides to blow the dude's fucking head off and now he's dead it's it's probably what happened. A similar sort of thing happened in the uh, ATV murders and oh Mountain. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, if if he didn't have a gun and he just had his fists, then it would have been a much different thing, or even a knife. You know, even a knife, it probably yeah, would have still. Been. Pro- I think I still probably would have killed him. Well, if the doors were locked, he wouldn't have been able yeah. to do that. No, he wouldn't have been able to get in. No. They would have seen him. They would have, yeah. you know, jumped in the seat and fucking took off. Exactly. You know, or, or, yeah, it just would have been different. But it's saying he was already the the rumor is that he sexually assaulted Audrey. Yeah. So he got in there before. He no, even no, he go. didn't. No, he blew the dude's head off. She got out of the oh, car. Yeah. He chased her down and then took her away somewhere. Oh, okay. So no, he didn't. He did. I mean, he got in there after he blew the dude's head off. Yeah, I'm not saying that like we should ban guns or anything. I'm just saying that like it's this kind of shit is what scares me about gun ownership with people. Uh huh. Is giving somebody a device that can instantly kill somebody else, and anybody can get one. You know? Yeah. yeah. There's background checks. Yeah. There's this, that, and the other. But as we've seen, it's not enough. You know? I mean. This guy probably owned his guns legally, you know, and it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not saying a one opinion or the other. I'm just saying it's scary to me. Yeah. This kind of shit, you know, like, uh-huh. like this is the kind of shit that makes me paranoid when, uh, say I'm out in a, a remote location and, and a lone car pulls up out of nowhere. The first thing I think of is, oh, yeah. they're, 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 if, what if they have a gun, you know, and, 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 and I think in the United States, there's just way more paranoia than there is in well, other countries. Well, I mean, would you see stuff like uh, the, what is the back road one or something? The one where that one gal in Unsolved Mysteries was followed by this guy in a black pickup truck who then blew her face off with a shotgun, <laughs> like, at point-blank range for no reason. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like this kind of shit, like, freaks me out. Uh, it's terrifying. Um, but yeah, that's the... 
terrifying uh, latest escapade for Ernest. Um, <laughs> Ernest is really like he's like the, the he's, things he's got turned really a dark. They really got dark for, uh, later in the franchise. Ernest uh, commits murder. <laughs> Ernest gets a first degree. Ernest uh, gets away with murder. That's really what. <laughs> that's what the last installment of the franchise was. It's unreleased. And then, then the next installment is going to be uh, Ernest Drops a Soap. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the next segment uh, we have to serve you on a silver platter is uh, the segment which is based around John Mooney, who, like I said earlier, he is a literal piece of garbage. Like, he actually is trash. And I will explain why soon enough. So this happened in Athens, Georgia. So there was a Georgia businessman uh, named John Mooney. He owned a restaurant named Somebody's Pizza. What a name. Now, yeah, I mean, what a name is an understatement. Like, you should insert what a terrible name. Like, what what kind of vague ass, like... It it's it just screams generic. It's it screams like made up. Like this isn't. Yeah. Uh, I was I was when I heard that too. I was thinking in my head. I was like, how could I fit that name into a sentence that that makes this clever? That makes this name work. Yeah. Hey, there's this pizza on the table. Whose is it? Oh, it's got to be somebody's pizza. I mean, it's it's like it's almost like an, yeah. it, it, it like a question than uh-huh. it is like a a mission statement. Like we are. You know, Moon River Pizza, Mellow Mushroom uh-huh. Pizza. It's like eh, it's just somebody's, eh, somebody's, somebody's, somebody's pizza. pizza. So, I mean, <laughs> someone will eat it, probably. Hopefully, it's a horrible I mean, name. There's no, yeah, there's no confidence. No, it's a, yeah, at all. Very, very unsure of itself. It, and it's just one of those things. It's like, why would I want to go to a pizza place that has no confidence in their business? And I, if I s- call it somebody's pizza. I swear to God, if if they mean it as in. Well, everybody's a somebody here. I will kill. I will. I will. <laughs> I will find John Mooney in jail, and I will. I will. That's probably. That's probably what the tagline. I will was. shank him in the neck. That's probably what the tagline was for his pizza place. Everybody's a somebody. At so- yeah, that's awful though. You don't name a place <laughs> after a tagline. You you come up with the name, and then you come up with a tagline. Oh man. Um. So. He had a business rival named Ted T.K. Hardy, who owned a popular bar and restaurant named T.K. Hardy's Saloon. Both were leased out from a remodeled st- train station and catered to the college student crowns- crowds in Athens. I don't know why I said crowns. Uh, apparently, my brain is farting out of my ass right now. Wow. They had great animosity towards each other since they went after the same clientele. When Moody was behind on rent, he decided to go over to TK's restaurant and get customers from there. Okay, right then in the in the in the reenactment, uh, I f- will always and forever have turned against John Mooney. Th- yeah. well, this dude to try to drum up business for his shitty ass named pizza place goes over to TK Hardy's restaurant and starts flyering to. His customers, to TK's customers. He starts yeah. passing out flyers to his restaurant at another person's bar or another person's restaurant. Yeah. And, and, and not only that, 
he hands out these flyers. It's like, oh, nickel beers, nickel beers at somebody's pizza. Yeah, come over to my restaurant. I mean, that is literally the douchiest number one thing you never do at a bar or restaurant is go and promote somebody else's bar or restaurant. It's like you've worked so hard to get those people in your door and then someone else is coming in and trying to, I mean, literally... And TK, understandably, was pissed off. Like, you should literally be able to beat someone's ass if they do that. Like They were close. Those two were close. Like That (laughs) is like the the dickest, the most dickish move. And that would be like if I'm hosting karaoke somewhere and I've built an audience at this room and then, like, someone else comes in and starts, um, you know, politicking and petitioning these people. Handing out flyers for their karaoke event. I would fucking, I'd go and punch (laughs) someone in the tit. I would. (laughs) I'd punch them right in the titty. So, um, (laughs) so they did, uh, once again, Unsolved Mysteries here did a good job of casting for both TK and, and, uh, John. Uh, John Mooney, the actor they got for him, definitely looked like a douchebag. Yeah, he was a good actor, too. Like, he was good at playing, you know, not, he didn't oversell the douchiness. He just, he just had this, like, you know, uh, it's very natural. Yeah, very natural douchiness. No artificial douchebag flavor much like my douchiness is very natural you can tell like <laughs> in real life i am this much of a douche it's very similar so um so T- tk was understandably uh ticked off like he was like what the hell are you doing like get out of here and so he confronted uh john and made him leave in 1977 the original lease on the train station expired and the original owners decided to sell it. TK bought the entire complex and had Mooney evicted. His parents are interviewed and or someone that he knows. I don't know specifically if it was his parents or not, but it was definitely somebody that he, he knew and they knew him. And they're talking about how he was worried about what potentially might happen. You know, if he was evicted, uh, but he wasn't worried about things going or taking this particular kind of deadly turn. And why would you? Like, the guy's an asshole. He's a douchebag. But, like, you're not going to think, like, right off the bat, oh, he's going to, you know, hire some guy to kill me. Like, you know, you're not going to... Or he's going to kill me. Like, this, I, you know. So... I love the scene in the in the reenactment where TK goes up to somebody's pizza. It's like empty. There's nobody in the in there because nobody nobody wants to go to somebody's pizza. Nobody's pizza. That's really what somebody's pizza is. It's nobody's pizza. <laughs> there's no identity and there's no clientele and no one gives a shit about somebody's pizza. So, if anything, you're probably doing him a favor by evicting him, so he doesn't have to pay all these fees to keep this business open. Open. That's clearly struggling. Right, right. Unless unless it actually was doing okay, and we didn't really learn that from Unsolved Mysteries. I'm gonna, Sometimes dude, if you have to go to someone else's restaurant and flyer for nickel beer, you are not doing yeah. good. You, no. you are trying to yeah. just get people in the door at that point. Exactly. So, he hands him the eviction notice, and it's like, it's in a dark, you know, empty bar. And he's like, you're out of here. 
Yeah. You're out of here. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> you want Sting? <laughs> so, um... So he evicts old Mooney. Mooney isn't having any of that. Because following the eviction, TK told his family and friends he was concerned about Mooney's reaction to it. Just like I mentioned earlier. And he was right, because just a few days later, on August 30th of 1977, he was shot to death at his desk in his house. Now, this, this particular segment has some really excellent, creepy freaky as hell POV shots by the cameraman and the director of somebody hiding in the house. Like, this is just primo stuff. Like, straight out of John Carpenter's Halloween. Or, you know, some other slasher movie. Or a horror film from the same particular time period. It is so well done. Um, and they had my beloved film grain, you know, the the, yes. the look of the first few seasons intact. It's a very creepy... Just, uh, just gives me chills just thinking about it. Because, I mean, that's just creepy anyway. The the whole thing about somebody's watching you, and you don't know they're there. They're in your house. They're in your vicinity. They are in your personal space. And that they're already violating the personal space. And then, of course, they're there for a reason. And the thing that, and, that sucks, too, about it to me is... It's usually not a very good reason. Yeah, the <laughs> thing that sucks, too, to me about the whole thing is that... Even though T.K. Hardy was described as an obnoxious yank by one of the, I think, yeah. the tenant of the uh, place that he was renting from at first, he said that, you know, once you got to know him, he was like a, you know, a real nice guy and, you know, he wanted the best for that area and he wanted it to, you know, he wanted to be like a boon to the, uh, to Athens and that, that community and all yeah. that. T.K. was doing everything right. He was doing everything the right way as a business owner as a person in general, and this douchebag John Mooney comes in, and he and he's the real piece of shit this whole time. And you know, TK has the more successful business, and John Mooney's got he's jealous. John Mooney's got l small dick energy, little man syndrome over there. He he's he can't handle it. So not only is he flyering, he's at, like, I want to be a yeah, somebody. I want because I. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a somebody. I even named my pizza place after my small, my fragile fucking ego. So, you know, so that then after all other avenues are unsuccessful, he just hires a hitman to have the guy. Yep. I mean, I don't know, dude. Mm -hmm. It's like how it's not like, the, okay, so this Mooney guy. He's a businessman because, uh -huh. you know, he's opening up this restaurant, this, that, and the other. He, he He's not displaying the kind of characteristics that a sociopath would have in the sense that he's doing a lot of the, well, I don't know. I guess sociopaths are able to fool people. I guess I take that back. But I don't know. It's just, it's like, how could you go from, like, flyering at the dude's restaurants, one thing, but then to jump to paying a hitman to kill him? I mean... There's like 30 steps in between those two things, you know what I mean? Like like how do you go from like that extreme, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a pretty extreme swing. 
in terms of a reaction to a competition. You know, that's what it is. It's competition. And he's getting trounced by TK. And he decides, well, enough of that. His flyering tactic didn't work. So he just, he just, I guess he just, in his deluded mind, he thinks, well, I'm just going to have him take it out of the equation. But then what happens? You're not going to afford, you're not going to be able to afford to buy the train station. So you're still evicted. You're still, you still don't have a place for your pizza place. There's no place for somebody's pizza. No matter what happens. So I want to mention one more thing about this particular segment from, you know, a directorial standpoint. There's a really great shot that shows the the hider in the house who's hiding in like a closet or some other like place, you know, where he can see TK in the in, as he comes home. When he's just like washing up or whatever in in the in the kitchen and you can just you just pans over and you see it in the shadows you see the eyes you know see see a little bit of a, of a face and eyes just staring at him it's a really great looking shot yep so for four hours later uh mooney was brought in for questioning when he was asked why he was there he said that it was probably about the shooting of tk the investigator asked how he learned of it as this information had not been released to the public <laughs> what a Dumbass. I know. What a dipshit. Like, how can you be that stupid? I don't... It's like, uh, why, why do you think we brought you in for questioning? Uh, probably about the shooting of TK. Uh, how do you know about this? We haven't released any of this to the public. Oh, damn it! <laughs> like, damn it, Mooney! <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 the... It's just mind-blowing to me. I mean, clearly the guy just, you know, he... he well, he knew he couldn't get away with the murder himself, so he hired a hitman. Well, he opens up a place called Somebody's Pizza, you know, so he's not yeah. he's not intelligent, but this... This unintelligent... Crafty. Yeah. I mean, no, he's not crafty. No, he's not crafty. He's, he's more of a, let's just say, he's smarmy. He's a hotard. He's smarmy. He's a, uh, he's, he's a straight-up hotard. That's gonna be my new uh, synonym. Regardless of the fact that the guy got shot in the head, uh, you know, Mike, it's the <laughs> point black range of the shotgun. The, you know, How, Howard turn, Stern didn't become the most popular shock jock in the world by uh, reading Bible verses. <laughs> I'm trying. I am the next Howard. No, I'm just. I, I'm not even. <laughs> not even gonna go there. Um. So. Understandably, Mooney then became nervous and asked to speak with his lawyer. Well, at least he's smart enough to do that, but damage is already done. Authorities did not have enough evidence to arrest him, so he was released. One month later, a restaurant restaurant owner who both knew TK and Mooney contacted the police with a bizarre story. He claimed that an Atlantic electrician named Elmo Liston Florence had told him that he was willing to kill people for money. This is this scene is gold. Because this, just, this guy, you know, he looks like, he definitely looks the part of an electrician or a mechanic. You know, you know this type of guy, you wouldn't really, you, he did, you're not thinking this guy's a hitman. 
at all. He's, he looks like he's here to like fix your air conditioning unit or something. Yeah, it looks like this guy's just bullshitting. He's just fucking around. But he knew all these details about like the inside of the house and everything, and like it matched like twenty one different points of what the uh, investigators had for this particular case. So this was this was straight up legit. But understandably, the restaurant owner at first she was like, "Come on, Elmo." So he said that he had been paid to kill TK. And, of course, at first the witness thought he was joking. Because, you know, who the fuck... That's another thing. Like, I guess there's a reason why Mooney knows this guy. Because they both have the same stupid, good old boy, dumb mindset. Like, you're just going to be sitting there at a bar just all about, I could kill somebody for you. If you need somebody dead, I could do it. Oh, come on, Elmo. You've had too much to drink. No, I'm telling you what, I tell you what, I, I could kill somebody and I've done it. Yeah, really? And the, I killed TK. So then he, the restaurant owner, of course, is like, okay, all right. He goes along with the story because, I mean, it's kind of an entertaining night, you know, just to try to, you know, just for, you know, shits and giggles. But then it turns into something more sinister as more details pour out of uh, drunken Elmo's mouth. And uh, He asked him how he had gotten into TK's house. He said that he had broken out the glass on a window, entered the house, swept up the glass, and then waited for TK. At some point, he received a telephone signal, which indicated that TK was on the way home. When TK arrived, he hid until TK entered his study, which is where he shot and killed TK. Florence described in detail the layout of the house, along with the room where the murder took place. He also told the witness what type of gun was used and where the bullet entered and exited TK's head. Like, the amount of details that are pouring out of this drunk guy's mouth. I mean, hey, some people say, you know, alcohol is a true serum. Like, this is definitely the case here. Like, his inhibitions are completely shot. Here's a confession. Um, But, let me... Elmo? Like, how often do you run across people that have the name Elmo? Like, John Mooney, okay, you know, John, but, you know, Elmo? Mike, so we have Ernest somewhere, who fell. Somewhere in the Midwest right now, there's somebody listening to our podcast named Elmo, and a single tear just ran down their cheek <laughs> as you said that. Well, it's probably not as common as it used to be. Probably not since Sesame Street. Yeah, they, yeah I, I could safe to say that red... Like, fucking fur thing fucked it up for anyone <laughs> named Elmo. So, uh, I'm not the only one, but, like, when I, when I heard his name was Elmo, like, all of a sudden, like, I was just flooded with images of Elmo from Sesame Street being in the place of this guy. So, Elmo was hiding in, in the house, just spying on TK, waiting for the phone call. Elmo's the one that shoots him in the, in the head, shoots him with a gun. Elmo's the one that's drunk in the bar, telling the restaurant owner what he did. I could kill somebody. Uh, I can't really do a good Elmo. Could you do an Elmo impression? I kind of forgot what his voice sounded like. Isn't it like real high? Like yeah. Hey, I'm Elmo. I'm your friend. Yeah. <laughs> that that's it. Hey, Mister, don't touch me there. Ah. <laughs> 
So, uh, Elmo, uh, I heard you could, uh, I heard you're actually, uh, on, on hard times right now. I guess you got kicked off of Sesame Street. Uh, what are you doing now to make a living? Well, for the right price, I can get rid of any kind of problem in your life. And by problem, it could be, I don't know, a person, a teacher, a parent, $500. Half now, half after the job's done. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, ha. Elmo, you're you're a sick bastard. What did you just say, motherfucker? <laughs> Vern, hey Vern. Elmo and Ernest, a dynamic duo of crime. A rainbow of fuck, if you will. <laughs> so, um, after hearing all of this information, the witness was certain that Florence was telling the truth, so he called the police. Going through the witness statement, authorities found more than 20 details that Florence accurately described about the murder that were not released to the public. He was arrested and charged with TK's murder. He had told the witness that Mooney had hired him to kill TK. However, when authorities went to arrest Mooney, they learned that he had fled the country. Two weeks later, however, authorities received a tip that Mooney was back in the area, staying with a friend in an apartment complex. Later that night, he was arrested while drinking in the complex parking lot. When authorities went through his belongings, they found several incriminating notes he had written to himself. In one, he wrote, See Elmo. Offer to him, if worse comes to worse, to take up the whole rap and say the robbery was a motive. <laughs> We have agreement for me to take care of his wife and family. Oh, so now Elmo has a wife and family that he's trying to. The make level money for. of hotardation that is going <laughs> on in this case is just blowing my mind. <laughs> you wrote it down on paper, you fucking idiot. <laughs> like, God. That would be like if somebody killed somebody. And then they wrote notes like, I'm going to, okay, buy gun, buy bullets for gun, use gun to shoot my bitch ex-wife. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, what the hell? Take bitch ex-wife's body, put it in the back of my pickup, drive to the uh, back road by the lake. Here are the exact coordinates of the location <laughs> where I will be dumping her body. I definitely did it. I hope nobody thinks anybody else did because it was definitely me because she was a cunt. Um, <laughs> yes, and this is where I'm living now. This is my address, social security number, and a list of my interests. My favorite. Here's my phone number, my, just in case. My favorite <laughs> ice cream is mint chocolate chip. Signed, the killer. <laughs> so, Florence's trial lasted only one week, and he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison at a maximum security prison in Georgia. So, if you want to see Elmo now, kids, you got to go to a maximum security prison in Georgia. You got to get me out of here! Bake me a cake with a nail file in it! So, Mooney was also convicted and sentenced to life in prison at a maximum security prison. However, three months later, he moved. He was moved to a minimum security prison. And prison officials gave him the job of kitchen clerk. 
because he was an ideal inmate. Apparently. And even the, the officers that are interviewed, like the, the security guards or the guys at the prison, like even they're like, oh, he sure fooled us. Like, it's, that's basically what they're saying. Like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't trust prisoners. I don't know. Especially ones that hire people to kill people. Yeah, I mean, if they're just, uh, you know, like, uh, what a white collar crime, petty, petty theft. I'm trying to think of something. A minor drug offense. I'm trying to think of some. Yeah, a minor drug offense. I'm trying to think of something else petty that you can get arrested for. I don't know. So on, uh, so he was because of this kitchen clerk job, he was given access to areas that were not available to most prisoners. Apparently he was in charge of the meat. So it seems like he was the 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 meat boy, you know, who was like leading all the other meat boys in the prison, telling them where to what to do with the meat and That sounds like some kind of like prison gay porn movie, the meat boys. <laughs> <laughs> so um on March 16th of 1980, after just serving 19 months of his sentence, Mooney engineered his escape. And this is how this motherfucker escapes this prison. How he was able to do this is beyond me. Like, it was this easy? Yeah, I, I know. Like, no one thought about that shit before. So, he hid in a garbage can. So, this guy, Mooney is, like I said earlier, he is literal garbage so when someone says you're a piece of garbage in this show well he actually was a piece of garbage in a actual garbage can with piles of garbage piled on top of him he was the cookie monster to elmo at that point, exactly living in the fucking garbage you, can. you mean uh you mean oscar yeah there you go whatever because you know, the Cookie Monster. Is Cookie Monster is, is Cookie Monster different from Oscar? I thought yes. I thought they were Co I, Cookie Monster. <laughs> really? I thought they were the same thing. I thought they were the same. Not. Oh my god! I thought man, he lived really. in the trash can and he liked cookies. No, 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 Josh. The Cookie oh, Monster. Oh, that's right. Because the one's green. Yeah. And the other's uh, blue. Yeah. Teaching kids about their primary colors. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. And the Cookie Monster just likes cookies. Okay, that's his whole shtick, is he just likes cookies and the... Uh, Give me cookies! Oscar is, like, just a homeless guy that we laugh at. He lives He lives in a trash can Sesame and Street, he's grumpy. Sesame he's grouchy. Yeah, they, they, taught you, uh, they taught you all kinds of mixed messages there. <laughs> Cookie Monster is an addict. Bitch, I that's live really in a trash can! <laughs> As, Cookie what? Cookie Monster is an addict and Grouch is just grouchy because he lives in a fucking trash can. As Dave <laughs> Chappelle put it, bitch, I live in a trash can. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, could you blame Oscar? You know, I live in a trash can. That's my home. It stinks. What do you think? I'd be happy. I think this podcast <laughs> has run out of steam. Uh, and like I said earlier, the, the Cookie Monster is a, a legitimate addict. He's addicted to cookies. Like, they need to take his ass to rehab. <laughs> maybe they, maybe Sesame Street was trying to teach kids, like, these subtle lessons 
with these uh, puppets. You got like, like the homeless, angry, grouchy guy that, that basically, I guess, is supposed to be like stay in school. And then you got the drug addict, cookie guy. And then you got uh, the homosexual, Bert and Ernie, which is, to, is supposed to show you that being gay is okay because see how well they live together and it teaches you tolerance. And um, then you got uh, Elmo, El- who's just hyperactive Elmo and is, you know, yeah. ADHD. Elmo shows you, <laughs> well, you could say he's maybe a drug addict too, but he's, he's, on, the, he's on the uppers. <laughs> and uh, uh, Oscar's on the downers. Oscar's the alcoholic. Elmo's the speed freak. He's doing the math. He's doing the the quaaludes. He's doing the uh, you know the angel dust. Then you got Big Bird, who is um, I don't know what's he the 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 only the only good the only male- uh, benevolent force on the show. There's other benevolent forces on that show, but Big Bird is the the calm, you know, collected sort of leader. Which one's the pedophile? <laughs> There's got to be someone on there to teach you to stay away from oh, yeah. stay away from crusty, uh, you know, adults. I don't think I don't think there is a pedophile on Sesame Street. Maybe the humans on the show are supposed to be supposed to represent the pedophiles in society. <laughs> <laughs> if you think Unco- welcome welcome to uncovering sesame street i'm telling you man folks. i guarantee you there's parallels in there fucking you can frank oz was a stoner you can tell look the characters he created there's no way mean, that man did not do drugs you mean uh um jim yeah, frank jim oz henson. and jim henson yeah they both were huge stoners i don't have to know if that's true or not i just feel in my heart that that's true and you know stoners well man. i mean if you watch if you watch the first uh season of saturday night live there are muppet sketches and those definitely do look like the work of stoners yeah and to be perfectly and, honest and, and you know when when you start drinking the mushroom tea and smoking the jazz cabbage you start getting all these fucking <laughs> you start getting all these wacky ideas man let's make a fucking cartoon where you have this this muppet that lives in a trash can and he's made out of weed it's not really a cartoon but yeah whatever (laughs) he's made out of weed and he's always pissed off and will show people show people how you know the the ills of society but in like cute (laughs) puppet form man it'll blow people's minds well if we think about it like this is the time period where you know you had shows like hr puff and stuff you know exactly city city and marty croft were totally stoners like what hr puff and stuff that's the fucking game. Yeah, see, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. It all fucking makes sense. We just literally uncovered an unexplained mystery. It's a conspiracy, man. Sesame Street is so, is not for kids. They're all symbolic of like the ills of society, man. <laughs> Big Bird represents Jesus Christ, man. He's the only salvation. Oh man! So Mooney, he escaped in a trash can. Uh, they he hid in a garbage can with Oscar the Grouch, and he was taken outside of the prison gate by other prisoners. When the guard locked the gate, he exited the can and went to a nearby van where an accomplice was waiting for him. He then discarded his prison uniform and then left the facility. Two hours went by before anyone noticed he was missing. 
And apparently he was on the run and had not been seen for nine years until this segment aired on the first season of Unsolved Mysteries. He was one of the first fugitives that was caught, if I remember correctly, oh, wow. by the show. So within minutes of the second airing of this case on July 26, 1989, two viewers in Scottsdale, Arizona, which I've actually been to Scottsdale. It's pretty nice over there. Uh, Troy has some relatives that live near there. Contacted the authorities, stating that Mooney was living there under the alias Robert J. Kelly. On August 8th, he was arrested at his house by Mesa police. He had been living in Arizona since 1982, and he was actually enrolled at Arizona State University. He had worked at several accounting jobs in the past. He'd also been married for six years and had a one-year-old son. If only he hadn't been such a hothead in his early life and decided to be a douche nozzle and steal from someone else's business and then have them killed, then, you know, he could have... I don't, I don't know why it takes some people, because it seems like a lot of times when these people escape, they just go on and, and, and like try to lead a normal life. It's like, why didn't you do that from the get-go, you stupid fuck? You know, yeah. like, why didn't you just get married and do all that shit from the beginning? Like, what you, because I mean, you needed this wake up call of like killing uh-huh. someone to be like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, like, it's so weird. Oh, I should be mature now. I should grow up. Yeah. Uh, and look what you've done to the, your wife, you know, and your kid. Like, oh yeah. Now they have oh, to grow, yeah. the kid has to grow up without a father. Granted, he, he, he'll probably grow up to be a, uh, a rapper or something so that's cool he probably won't remember anything you know because he's only one years old well, no so he probably won't even remember his father he'll grow up to be like you know he'll be like an m&m type or something you know my, my dad went to jail what? and i had these crazy dreams he used to tell me he hated me m&m doesn't sing well he kind of sings <laughs> uh he he raps he, he, he does like a melodic rap Focal, whatever, man. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt out. I've been playing a fucking cell phone game <laughs> the last fifteen minutes anyway. I, I've can- what, 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 what have you been game playing? Candy Crush. No, I've been playing Clash Royale. It's a, it kicks ass. It's like a, like a real time strategy game. I think that's been advertised by a bunch of YouTubers. I think, or, or maybe even think of Raid Shadow Legends. That's what I'm thinking of. Um. So on September sixteenth, Mooney was returned to prison. He is currently serving a life sentence in Dooley State Prison. Dooley. Dooley. Florence was released on parole in December of 2007. He had previously been denied parole 11 times. In recent years, he claimed he was only supposed to scare TK into signing a lease, allowing Mooney to stay in business, but accidentally shot him when startled. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't buy yeah, that. Bullshit. You hid in the house. Yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was premeditated. As a motherfucker. However, at his 2007 parole hearing, he admitted that he purposely killed him. Yeah, no shit. Uh, Florence died on October 31st, 2017, at the age of 86. So Damn, he, died in he lived a long life. Interestingly, a man named LaVar Bates, who was a co-worker of Mooney's and interviewed in the update, was recognized by a viewer as her long-lost father. He spoke on the phone with her on the night of the update, and they were soon reunited. Wow. What a twist. Yeah, really. This is this is like the only Unsolved Mystery segment that was a, a mur- murder wanted case that also turned into a lost love. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is insane. I'm telling you, man. Truth is stranger than fiction on this episode. 
So I got nothing else to say except, man, Elmo and Ernest really fell on hard times. Yeah, man. You know, the work stopped coming in in the, in the you know, late 80s and, and uh, you know, just it just things just didn't go so well for him at that point. No, what he wanted, he, you know, Elmo was tired of being tickled. <laughs> he had enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the best way we can end it on. Um so yeah, that was the podcast. If you guys want to contribute to us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You get the podcast early, usually, and um you can put your suggestions in for future future episodes on there. And basically you're just kind of supporting us because you like what we do. Um and if you want to join our Facebook group, it is uh, go to Facebook and under the group section, type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Our group is awesome, super interactive, bunch of great people. Um, yeah, so do that. And uh, if you like me and Mike and you want more of us, but maybe not so togethery, more separate-y, um, then check out our, our individual YouTube channels. You can check out Mike's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash OCP communications. He is the movie guy. Mike, what was the last thing you talked about? So the last thing I talked about, uh, I did a couple videos. I did a vlog where I uh, showed a few things that I picked up lately. Like, I actually got all seasons of Viva La Bam. Do you remember oh that show? Oh my god, yes. So I actually picked, all, uh, picked up all seasons of that show on DVD at a thrift store recently for a pretty good price, so... Um, that was a pretty good deal. Uh, it was like five seasons, so the you know it's a considerable amount of content. And then I also did a video where I talked about the whole Copa thing that's yeah, going on. Yeah, what, what is that with YouTube? In short, I don't so, know anything about that. Okay, this is I'm gonna try to make this short, but okay. Copa is a thing that's been around since 1998 and was uh, updated in 2013 and. It's something involving the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and it was originally created to protect kids from online predators and stuff like that, to prevent their information from being released without their, without their permission or without adult supervision, you know, that whole thing. But then it started to shift into another thing where it dealt with internet videos and dealt with personalized advertisements. Uh, on videos that are targeting kids. So YouTube decided uh, that they were just going to ignore this for six years, and the FTC was like, uh-uh, and then took them to court. And YouTube was thinking they could fight it, but they recently lost a settlement with the FTC. A $170 million settlement. So now they have to implement some changes to the platform where in the near future in 2020 uh and i think with you know sometime in the next few months youtubers are gonna have to go through all of their videos and determine whether or not they're child friendly or fall under certain parameters that at the time are kind of vague so they really need to clarify that uh, and you click a box that says that your content is or is not uh, child targeted. So if it is, uh, then you click that and then it will make it so it doesn't run personalized ads on your video. 
Um, oh, and I think, because I think there's going to be multiple options. Like you click that and if it's not, then there's some other thing. If the details aren't all out yet, someone like some people are freaking out and thinking like it's the, the latest apocalypse for YouTube. Like we don't have all the details yet. But here's the thing that I don't get. My channel is not monetized because I lost the monetization privileges because YouTube took them away because they thought I was spamming content as being lame. So my content is not monetized. This whole Copa thing is all about personalized ads on videos that are specifically intended to be for kids or have content that kids might be interested in. If I don't have any ads on my videos, why should I have to worry about this? I don't I don't I don't understand that. That I really and I haven't heard anybody clarify this yet. I'm thinking that if you're not monetized, it's not something that you're going to have to worry about. Why would the FTC care and why would YouTube care? Because you're not monetized. Well, I am monetized but, and I, I make, you know, a little little exactly. chunk of change off of YouTube every I month. So I, I this does concern I know. me. I know it does concern you and it concerns a lot of people and it's worrying. Um, what's even more worrisome is the potential $42,000 or more fine you could get by the FTC if they determine, oh, if you didn't check the box what? and it, they determine that it was kid friendly or kid targeted and they find out that you were running personalized ads on the videos, then you could be fined up to $42,000 a video. None um, of my shit's kid friendly or kid targeted, thankfully. I know. So it's one of those things like if you're not making the kind of videos that are targeting that particular kind of audience, I don't think this is going to affect you that oh, much. PewDiePie is going to um, be fucked. Um, but he well, PewDiePie already gets other advertisements and other like brand brand deals. Like they're still those big YouTubers are still going to be fine, regardless of what happens with That's this. That's true. But. Another thing that worries me is that YouTube's going to roll out a machine learning algorithm or whatever that's going to try to, I guess, determine which videos fall under certain categories. And the details aren't all out on that yet. Don't really know for sure whether or not they're going to report that to the FTC or this is just something where they're going to just going to mark your video as something. And then if you want to dispute it, you can file, fill out a form or have YouTube double check to see if it does fall under those parameters. Um, it's a pain in the ass, and it sounds like a hassle, but it's YouTube's damn fault because they didn't follow these rules from the start when the when the new rules by the FTC and COPA was amended in 2013. They just decided they're going to wait their sweet-ass time, thought they could wait it out, and then FTC was like Dennis Nedry and was like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um... We'll see what happens in the next uh, upcoming months. Uh, I'm not as worried about it yet because I, all the details aren't out. I'm not going to freak out about something that I don't know everything about yet. The FTC is taking comments, so um, we'll see what happens with that. But it's a bunch of old hoity-toity white guys who don't know how to fucking you barely even use a keyboard who are trying to come up with it. What is up with this shit? You got guys trying to regulate the internet who don't even know how the internet works, who are fucking newbies, don't know shit, and they're trying to do... They're the last people that should be working on these kind of things. 
They, they have no clue on what the fuck they're they doing. They leave it up to the companies to self-regulate like they did with the ESRB, with the whole video game, violence and video game yeah. thing in the 90s when uh, when, well, when well, now, the Joe yeah. Lieberman, who, who was like, 80 even back then was like I'm gonna make this my personal cause and motherfucker didn't uh-huh. even know what a video game was yeah so it, it's a lot a lot of it comes down to kid you know parents uh not you know being negligent letting kids you know do things watch content they're not supposed to but at the same time kids are gonna watch what they were gonna watch uh YouTube is trying to push this YouTube kids thing but most kids think it's lame so because YouTube, I guess, is supposed to be for people 13 and up. But, like, come on. Be a fucking break. Uh, so, it's just a fucking clusterfuck right now. And we'll see what happens God, I hate uh, kids. in the near future. They ruin everything. But YouTube, honestly, is... I'm not blaming FTC here. This thing has been around for, since 2013. YouTube just fucking thought they could sweep it under the rug or buy out the FTC or just win a lawsuit or... Just wait it out, and the FTC is like, "Nope, you lose." <laughs> Good day. <laughs> uh, well, that sounds like a cluster yeah. of fuckness. Um, well, all right, we'll go to Mike's channel, and he'll explain more about that. Uh, if you want to go over to my YouTube channel, it's uh, YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. It's also the name of my band. If you want to check us out on Spotify, Apple, or SoundCloud, or wherever. You listen to music, and I recommend that you do. But anyway, the last video I did, uh, still the uh, Brady Ghosts. It is a uh, kind of a parody skit kind of song and video on on the origins of my band, and we're you know in all of our different costumes, and it's a really fun video, and it lasts all of fifty nine seconds. So if you have fifty nine seconds out of your day, run and uh, check that video. And uh, while you're there, check out my other videos. I do videos on video games, TV shows, movies. I do I do all kinds of stuff. Probably too much, honestly. Uh, too many different kinds of videos. Um, but anyway, go over there and give me some love. We're almost at 5,000 subscribers on my channel. So that's exciting. Um, so yeah, uh, that's the podcast for, for this week. So until next time, have a good rest of your day and or night. Goodbye. See ya.